This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. and welcome to People Matters, a diversity, equity, and inclusion discussion panel that's brought to you by Dojo Live. My name is Kim Lantis, and I'm joined by America Guerrero. Hello, everybody. And we're really, really happy to be your moderators today. So before we introduce the panel, I just want to give you an idea of what this show is about. So here at Dojo Live, we really do understand, try very hard to understand the value of diversity, uh, knowing that every human experience and background offers a, a unique perspective. So last month, we introduced our very first People Matters, and that was LGBT in tech. And that perspective was explored on our first panel. And if you didn't catch it, don't worry. You can still see that on our website, right? Go to Dojo Live. Now, July is Disability Pride Month. And for our second panel, we'll be pushing further into the equity and inclusion uh, component. And so we've invited a special panel of individuals to, to discuss accessibility, right? And accessibility as the future of tech. They'll be answering questions of how accessibility and inclusion are a competitive edge. And we really, really look forward to learning from you all. So welcome. Um, America, if you would like to kind of introduce yeah. our guests here. Yeah, this is Thank so you. exciting. Today we have Jennifer Porzel, uh, lead product designer at Gameford. And then we have Estefania Naya, UI UX designer at Incora. Fermin Chavez, who is UX researcher at Incora. We would love to get to know you guys. Please share with us about your experience, about why why you are here, why want to, you want to share to the world, why accessibility is so important. So please go ahead. Let's, let's say Estefania. Cool. Like, Dang it, I made eye contact. I looked at the teacher. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Estefania. Um, I'm a UI UX designer here at Incora. I have like more or less three years of experience. I have a BA in graphic design and I started my journey as a curious person like, like that. So I've been that person which is asking always why and always wanting to learn from others. So yeah, I think a collaboration, it's been crucial for me in my career. And I think that's why I'm here. Uh, that led me to you guys and everything that I can like um, learn. It's great for me. So that's that's about me. Thank you. Awesome. Who's next? We'll go with Jennifer. Jennifer, so you are. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a bit about you and what led up to product design. Uh, a lot. Well, um, my history's uh, an MFA in sculpture, of all things, um, and then education. But really what led me into design is just dealing with too many um, products that didn't fit my needs and needed help. And I thought I could do that. I can make this better. And so I dived into it out of curiosity, much like uh, Stefania. Um, so just kind of went in and now I am a colorblind designer which is interesting to explain to people so yeah it's just something that I can pour a passion into in making everything better. 
Wow. And I think that, you know, being colorblind probably offers an extremely unique perspective in, in your ways. I think personal challenges in what you do, but ultimately, I'm assuming, will even make your designs better. And I'm really excited to dive into that. And of course, last but not least, Fermin. Hey, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's currently like raining very, very hard. So I hope my microphone doesn't pick up on that. And my internet. No, we, we hear you good. And if you disappear, we know, we know what yeah. happened. <laughs> the rain took me. Okay. Uh, well, uh, my name is Fermin. I'm originally an engineer. I started to, my I did my bachelor in bionics engineering, like bionic woman. <laughs> that was also my reference when I picked it. And well, naturally, we, we would design and build things for a lot of people with disabilities, like they are the main users of processes and similar things. But I was always kind of uncomfortable in the way we approached the whole thing. And I ended up moving into design and, and the user research space because I was like, I don't feel we're asking the right questions or I'm not sure we're building the right products for them. Like th there's this whole notion of what we should do, but nobody ever verified with the users. So yeah, it was kind of like that. And I've been doing research for four years now. So yeah, that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you all for joining us. And so let's, let's kind of get right into it. Um, this Q&A kind of conversation that we've got. So, so as I was preparing for today's panel, I, I came across a statistic, and this statistic actually surprised me, and that is according to the CDC, and I, I don't know what year this is, it's on their website, I'm guessing it's recent, 61 million adults in the United States are living with a disability, and that means one in four, which blew my mind. I was ignorant to that statistic. And I guess that statistic alone sheds, I think, a lot of light on, on why accessibility is, is important. But to get us started, if you could just tell us what is accessibility and, and why is it important, and particularly in tech. Thank you. I'm gonna, we're not going to call them names no more, guys. So let's just talk. <laughs> OK, cool. Um, I would say it on like a base level, like, when you're, you're creating something and you're putting it out there, you want as many people as can be possible to utilize that tool or that product or however you're, you're pushing it. And that's the base of it really is it's more people to have access comfortably using that tool or product. Um, after that, I don't, I mean, we can get into the nitty gritty of like, we're talking about supporting people, giving visibility and all of that as well. But when it gets down to it, as producers, we just want to make sure we're producing for everybody who is out there. And that's my view of it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's the two part component, right? There's, let's say, the, the morality issue. Of, yeah. And then there's the money issue that nobody wants to talk about but it's Unfortunately, a truth. Yeah. yeah and like I can scream my socialist heart out about it but at the time I, I've got to work for a company that makes a product for people and nice. that's where it nice. comes down to. It, it makes perfect sense. What's your take for me and Stefania? Yeah I, I totally agree like I, I think it's there's two ways to approach it like you can think of it as the people you are including in your user base and think of it as the people you are excluding from your user base. And I think there is the importance of, of tech in particular, because we live in a very techy world. Like everything, like what we're currently doing depends on a, a lot of technological systems and it's become commonplace right now. Like 
having video conferences and remote working and everything else. Like there's a whole lot of infrastructure that needs to be accessed for almost everyone to just lead a, a regular life, have a, a job, go to school, get healthcare. So as people working in tech, uh, I think it's very, very important that we don't leave anyone behind. You know, like it's not just about who we are considering and our niche market, but about who we are ex excluding without even meaning to sometimes. Yeah, and I think, and I think it's important to know that uh, every user is facing challenges due to demanding context, due to demanding context, right? So uh, I'm I'm agree on the fact that we want to design for all all ability levels, and we want to create services that everyone can use. So sometimes we tend to get into the place in the catch all term for designing on technology. But it's just sometimes it's framed on charity alone. It's something like um, it happens, but it's not like it's something that we should like a compass and to and understand like if we tend to watch uh, for accessibility, we are watching through the future, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's my take on that. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think I, I, what I, what I understand you saying is there is the the charitable charitable side, the human side. But as Fernamin was saying, this tech is the future in and of itself, and therefore accessibility is deeply involved in in the future of tech. So I think Jennifer, you touched on this a little bit, but let's talk about a bit more why accessibility should matter to companies. Now I know that all of us here are sort of involved in the tech side. Uh, you, Jennifer, with with game board, it's it's a physical game board, but it involves a lot of tech. But, so let's talk to that. But why does accessibility matter to companies, and what's maybe the competitive edge of getting on top of this as terms of you know beating your competition? Well, I mean, really, it's just lubricating that access to everybody. So the more accessible the product, the more it's going to affect the bottom line and it's just going to get more out there. And with game board, like we're in gaming tech and gaming tech can be a really harsh environment for disability. Um, just look at any steam games out there, just general AAA releases, things like that. There's accessibility issues in almost all of them. And where I find the most, um, help with accessibility in the most accessible products as far as games go. It always ends up in the independent developers. Um, it's very trendy in those. And then like simple casual games as well, uh, which is really surprising. So you're getting a lot of these like younger developers, younger product makers, and they're the ones pushing this forward. And if you go behind, if you land behind on this, and a lot of the big studios are, it's just going to end up hurting their um, releases. It's just going to end up hurting who's buying the product, who's feeling comfortable playing the product, and who's continually using the product. So with Game Board and everything, we're, we're really dealing with a lot of that. And we're a young startup. We need to sell to as many people as possible. Uh, that's the reality of it. And accessibility from the ground up is basically a core of that. Love it. 
Fermin, Stefania. No, I really do. I and we're gonna get into the, the specifics. I think of how you're making things more accessible with this next question. But but for me and Stefania, what do you think the competitive edge is specifically for companies and accessibility? I think it's uh, I, there's a lot of arguments you can make towards accessibility, and it depends. I, I think you end up tailoring them to your public and your company, because yeah, there's like uh, the bottom line, you know, it, there is more people, there is more money in that if you cover a larger market just by giving access to a larger number of people. But there's also I, I guess more. Um, there's a carrot, there's a stick. <laughs> and when it comes to the stick, I think I'm thankful that we live in countries that have some legal groundwork where people with disabilities can say, you know what, this product is not working for me. That constitutes a case of exclusion, discrimination, especially when it comes to basic services like communications, telecommunications. And I'm glad we have that because it, it gives them voice and power and, uh, and they can say, you know what? There's this thing, and it's, I'm being a victim of exclusion or of discrimination. They can sue you. And I don't like threatening people or companies or anyone, but it's good that we have that. I mean, it's, uh, I, it may be a sort of last resort mm -hmm. <laughs> argument, but yeah, it's like, if you don't do that, you are going to face legal consequences, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, self-preservation. Self yeah. <laughs> you need to be aware and you have the legal background, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there I think there's a lot of other uh, like opportunities to improve uh, the businesses. I can count like four like most important things that you can uh, have when including accessibility in your product systems, uh, software, etc. You can like you mentioned before, you can strengthen the brand. Uh, you open the conversation with the users. You also reach to them the ones that. Uh, they're not like being listened. You reduce these legal complications that we talked before. And also we, you improve in terms of uh, websites, we improve uh, the CEO and the structure of the site. So there are many, many, many ways accessibility can like impact you in a very helpful and good way. Okay, and based on your experience, what are the disabilities limitations or constraints that you take into consideration when designing a product is there an order of importance you said listening and if so how do you determine the order oh I, I would like to take this <laughs> go for it i think it's a tricky one because uh i wouldn't like to suggest that there's a prioritization of different minorities that's an awful thing but I think it, it's, it depends on your product and, and you have to look at your product because different products engage different aspects of our corporality, of our minds, our senses. And depending on that, they have the potential to exclude whole groups of people. And I would say that for user interfaces, web design, uh, app design, uh, they are still sadly a very visual product. So perhaps the most vulnerable people to be excluded by them are uh, people with visual impairments. And it's a common practice, I think, in the industry that you test with them first if you want to ensure accessibility because they are like the most vulnerable people when it comes to visual interfaces. But it, as, again, it's not about different minorities competing with each other. It's just about you looking at your product and thinking, okay, whom, I, whom might I be excluding when I do this or, or when I do that? And it's different for every product. I would, like, would love to hear from Jennifer because it's a hardware product. I was about to agree with you. Like that's exactly how 
I approach it as well. And um, everything you said is directly on point with my views as well. Um, you know, it it's hard to rank it because as um, Furman said, like, it's what's important to that product. So, I mean, I'll hark on game boards some more because that's my, my job here at game board. <laughs> you go, so, you go. <laughs> basically, like we have our, our main standpoints that make the product what it is, and that's physical interaction um, and visuals. And so we, we mostly focus on ocular disabilities and mobility disabilities a lot as well. Um, and that includes like uh, loss of digits, MS, all of that type of thing. So we're dealing with building a whole brand new gesture library because we have this whole above the board system where it recognizes all sorts of new levels of touch. But if you're limited on what you physically can do, um, you start to to basically take everything as simple as you can get it. I, I like to tell our teams here, like if you can't do it with three fingers or less, we're not doing it. Um, and most of the time they listen to me. I wish they listened to me more. <laughs> but we're dealing with a situation where we also want to get things out quickly. So we're going to be right. doing a lot, a lot of backtracking. Um, and then as somebody who's um, like, I'm partially colorblind, so I'm, I'm visually impaired a little bit. Um, not as much as like a fully colorblind person, but like... I have trip anomaly, so I'm automatically designing for trip anomaly, and that's also very much high on the list. Is differentiating shapes because you're playing; it's a lot of real time interactions, um, and those are important to game board. So those are what we shoot for first, um, and then, like, the third thing that we really push for is neurodiversity, and that's because of our your your. Our user base um, in tabletop gaming and stuff like that, um, there's a lot of representation for people on spectrums of various different neurodiverse existences. So yeah, we have a lot of ADHD issues with design that people don't think about. And these are these invisible disabilities. So those are also very important to how we're approaching everything. I think I answered that. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like you mentioned ADHD, and like not only is it less thought about, but you think about individuals who might not even realize that they have ADHD. Yeah, who are yeah, it's playing, the most right? underdiagnosed um, yeah. neurological thing out there. So. And in your case too, or in a lot of cases, maybe not so much on apps, right? But a game board, you also have to think of age. I think is which is yeah. interesting. It's that. I mean, maybe certain games or whatever have their, you know, recommended age limit or minimums and things like that, but something that a kid can play and that like a 90 year old can play and everything in between. Yeah. And the games have their individuals, but when we're talking the OS and everything, like we want all the people in those age ranges of the games to be able to use the OS and get to those games. So exactly. we still, it's a huge wide breadth of an audience. Yeah. And for example, you shared that you have these questions. If you cannot do it with three fingers, we cannot go for it. Are yeah. there other top <laughs> questions that you do yourself so you can design and develop an, a product for everybody? Top questions, top three, maybe? Checklists. 
I would have. I would mention uh, three uh, questions that I will always ask when designing for accessibility is who is using it? Uh, am I looking at the right user? Am I looking with the right eyes? The observation on how it's been used, if this is something that already exists. And I also keep track of the user expectations. What are the things that they expect to do with this? And how can I reach those goals? Uh, that would be my, like, approach to that. Yeah, I, I would say, I would mention that there's like this uh, collective called Project Inkplot, and they have a, an online uh, guide for designing for diversity, and they have like a, a, a set of five questions that you should ask yourself. And uh, I don't think there's time for the five, but just to mention the first three is like, what is your worst case scenario and on whom? How do the identities within your team influence and impact your design decisions? And the third one is, who might you be excluding? And it's a very generalistic approach, but I think it's a very good one to make you think about like the big picture stuff, because sometimes you get lost in the details of your product. Mm -hmm. But I guess I would also mention that there is, um, sometimes I hear these questions like, oh, is there a checklist, a guide or something? There's a lot of things, but I don't think anything substitutes building empathy by real contact with your final users, especially these populations we are talking about, like people with disabilities, old age, children, etc. Nothing substitutes for that. Like there's a, there are guides, and you can ensure a certain compliance that it may work with them, but nothing it, it's, it compares with you know go and ask them. <laughs> I I hear the researcher in you. <laughs> go 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 and ask. <laughs> uh, yes, perfect. Okay. Do you have do you have another questions, Jennifer? That you ask yourself, um, for example, on game board. Oh, I mean, yeah, we have very specific ones that I make all of our game developers go through and everything like that. And um, one of them I like to champion is just a grayscale check. So when you're converting any graphics or any media into grayscale, you're going to start to notice colors that have different values. And if that contrast in values is not there, then everything just becomes the same. And that's the quickest way to check your your colors um, for most colorblind individuals and stuff like that. And in gaming, that's usually one of the primary issues that we see the most is color accessibility. So that's one of the main questions I ask. Mm -hmm. um, I also ask if anything is detracting and that's for our neurodiverse audience. Um, so like animated backgrounds, things like that, like, is this necessary to the experience? If it's not, cut it because it's just going to detract from people attempting to use the product. And it's such a minor thing to think about. And you're like, as designers, like, we want to make everything beautiful and elegant and everything like that. But like, when you're adding and adding and adding, it, people don't usually think about that. It, it becomes overwhelming for a lot of people. Um, and we want to avoid that. And it, it's just like, we just get bound to that. Is this necessary? If it's not necessary, cut it. Um, yeah. So that's like a huge question. Oh, okay. It's a really interesting question. And I think it comes down to, I think that's probably a really tough one because when we're passionate about something or really like something, like we want to push for it. And then to like make yourself be like, let's do minimum viable here. It's not necessary. It looks great just like it is. Like, 
you know, control yourself. <laughs> it, it, I think there's in some ways, like you said, some, some willpower, but at the same time, going back to competitive edge, that question of, is this necessary? Does it need to be here? Can help you move faster. It can help you move cheaper. Um, so, I mean, not just in terms of accessibility and equity and inclusion, but, you know, there's a really a business element to, to that as well. Oh, yeah. MVPs are massively important. <laughs> I mean, that's basically why we're here. Um, so, yeah, ditto to that. Okay. So we already talked about the top questions. What about the methods? About how do you... Do you utilize any out-of-the-box methods to tap into your empathy when designing, like using your product with just one hand or wearing sunglasses? Or like the grayscale or the, the three uh, fingers? Which exactly. three? Uh, I remember uh, back in my school, we used to have a, a leg prosthesis race, like each student would design its own leg and we have a, a race. I think by the time I arrived, my generation we didn't get that. I kind of... <laughs> there were too many accidents and the school's like, yeah, we're not covering these medical bills anymore. Yeah, maybe, but I, I, I am kind of glad because there's a lot of approaches like that, like blindfolding, blindfolding yourself or things like it. I think there's a good intention in them, but uh, for most people, uh, I don't think, uh, for me, uh, it's impossible to comprehend the lived, the lived experience of someone that has had this all of their lives or most of their lives. And it doesn't compare. But there are certain tools and shortcuts. I remember when I started working with people with visual impairments, I was mystified by screen readers. Like, oh my God, what is that? How does it work? And usually they, they set them up to talk really, really fast uh, to move through the interface in a, in a I don't know, the, the, the way you would want to move through the interface. And it's like a being bombarded with voices. And, and most of us that are not used to them don't really understand them as like, I don't know what is happening. It's magical what you're doing with your cell phone. But I, I started realizing that I needed to understand the underlying thing, you know, and now I have it on my phone. I know how to turn it on and off quickly. And I, I've never been a proficient user. There's a lot of intricate gestures for it. But you can do the basics and like left and right and see if every element is tagged, the clickable buttons are clickable. It works or it doesn't work. And it's a very basic approach to come to an understanding, but it's a first step, I would say. One of the things that I usually do is to try to navigate uh, in talking about uh, websites, right? Uh, try to nav navigate uh, through the keyboard. Also, um, try to use the voiceover control feature on my Mac to explore or navigate the site. Um, that way I can check for the structure, the navigation, if to identify if the labels on the side are all right, or we can identify a lot of things on the focus order elements just by uh, doing this quick um, like navigation through the keyboard. Uh, I tend to start there, uh, but yeah, uh, I think that it's important to move from like the part of the education through the action. So uh, we can like, try to uh, convey this uh, activity with our like stakeholders as well to bring up these concerns into meetings and to like have this accessibility section on your confluence document or to have like accessibility reviews uh, meetings weekly maybe monthly so yeah there's there's 
the way I reach to to start thinking about accessibility on the products. Really cool. Thank you. So Jennifer, I know that you know you recommended, you know, with Gameboard being uh, early in, in the startup and you as a company really taking accessibility into consideration from the very beginning. Um, then there's other companies who maybe have been around for a really, really long time. And because of let's like we talked about earlier, legal reasons or whatever it might be, are just kind of tapping into accessibility with products that already exist. Given these two situations, like what maybe some types of tips or recommendations would you have to get started in the creation of more inclusive products? Like is is that process the same no matter where you are at in, in your process? Or if somebody if we've happened to open somebody's eyes today and say, Hey, yes, I need to get on board with this, what, where would we start? Um, I mean audits. You start with audits, just audit everything. Um, that's really the the biggest one. And then listen. Um, like uh, Fermin was talking about how, like we have all these tricks and stuff as designers that we can do as able-bodied people. But as soon as we get it in front of somebody who actually has these disabilities we're trying to design for, it's going to open our mind to what's actually happening. And so auditing and getting it in front of people is the best thing you can do. Um, that will give you an idea of where to start. But really, like, I say I do ground up because if you plan for all of these things from ground up, then you don't have to make a performance of changing it later. Um, you're not doing that charity thing that we talked about earlier. So like charity is good and all, but like they don't want to be made a big deal out of. I know as a colorblind person, I don't want to be made a big deal out of um, like, oh, cool. You find support me. Yay. Um, so like band-aids are not great. If you have to go back and revisit your app or your, your program or your website, like it's best to do a proper design revisit, do a V2, a V3 or anything like that. And just really focus on how, what does this need to look like as a new product, as opposed to slapping on shapes for color recognition and stuff like that. It, it, it doesn't always work as well as you'd think it would. And the time spent testing and fixing that with that Band-Aid could have just been done with going from taking all the same copy and imagery and just redesigning it to fit those accessibility issues. It's also going to create a better product because you're not going to have all these settings and all of these things that people have to change on their own. Um, if people can approach it right out of the box, that's always going to be better than slapping on all these extra things. So my recommendation would be to basically start from almost scratch. It's unfortunate, but that's the best thing to do. Here in Mexico, and maybe other Spanish-speaking countries as well, but there's a saying that says, lo barato sale caro. Like, the cheap ends up being expensive. Yeah. And I think <laughs> we've, all, we've all experienced that, right, in our homes or trying to, like, are we saying that I'd say to Jimmy Riggs something or Mickey Mouse it? Yeah. Um, you might have, you know, it doesn't always work out. If you'd just done it right the first time, oh, you'd see that. I love it. It's a really good example.
it, it's like I think like a technical debt, as mm -hmm. I saw, as I said, um, because you will be doing these efforts later on. Why don't we do it from the beginning, right? agree on that cool all right well we've actually made it uh to the final end of our our half hour or actually gone over half hour a little bit but that's okay this still we're still in our in our goal here and thank you so much for your expertise and thank you so much for your guidance this last question is a question that's really just for fun and that is what is your favorite favorite craziest most fun example of how you've seen accessibility applied this can be in the product or something that you've worked for or just something that you've seen out there in the world and thought ah, this is amazing <laughs> i want to go first because oh my god uh some years ago i participated it was a, an open contest to design a public restroom it was uh, uh it was going to be for a university uh and the um, the details were like, we have these three available spaces. You can design for whichever one you want. And uh, my team was like uh, five, six people. We included people with different disabilities. We interviewed a lot of people with disabilities, people with children, like taking your child to the bathroom is a whole thing. <laughs> and I did not know that. And you have to do it at every public place yeah. you go. Believe me. Yeah, it's, it was... It's like freaking Disneyland for kids. I swear. They like enjoy using public restrooms. It's, yeah. it's so weird. Yeah. And it's a whole thing. If, if, if the bathroom is not designed for it, it's, uh, uh, it can be, it can make the experience awful. And just like uh, your kid being able to, to fit inside a stall with you or not, to be able to reach the uh, everything. And, and uh, well, I thought we were very thorough in our design. Um, the final event is on. Uh, they are announcing the winners. We got a, a honorable mention. Wonderful. We were very happy. And then they announced the winner project. And it was this bathroom. Uh, one of the spaces was actually divided into two. Like you see, like sometimes behind the elevators, one floor is for women and the next one is for men, something like that. So it was a two floor space. And they won, and their design didn't have anything to cover the distance between the floors. And we were like, "How did this happen?" Like, <laughs> there were stairs on there, and we were mystified. It was we could not believe that, and it was very, very funny. <laughs> so, so that goes into the crazy camp of like, what? We'll just yeah. say it was nepotism, and somebody on that team <laughs> knew knew somebody, one of the judges. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's like, and we try like. We chose a space that got, that was accessible because you can make the most accessible bathroom, public restroom in the world, but if nobody can reach it, then what's the point to it? And that was exactly the problem with the final winner. So it was mind blowing for us. Yeah. I, I'll have to ask you later on. We'll talk for me about um, your child parent friendly restroom. I'm excited to hear about this. All right, Stephanie, Jennifer, what are your favorites that you've seen out there? I would say, like, I've been, like, watching a lot of uh, videos from people that it's going to Disneyland. They approach accessibility in a really curious and amazing way. They have, like, options for everything, and I find it great. I, I'm eager to um, investigate or research more about the Disney thing going on in accessibility. It's amazing. 
Head up in Cora. You have to go to Disneyland. It's it's job related. I have to. <laughs> I do. Jennifer? Um, I would say there was, when I was an educator um, at a private institute, we, we visited a lot of art classrooms and stuff just to kind of build the program and stuff like that. And we were starting after school programs and all that. And there was one teacher at a disability school who had their entire art classroom designed for um, blind, mute, deaf students. So uh, all combinations of those three, it was all within this one classroom and it, it did everything they possibly could to make the students feel as independent as they possibly could. And, like they used bump mats to make paths of different like bump patterns around the room. They had all these different things and it was done like dollar store style cause it's education. So very minimal budget. And it like this teacher just went to the extremes to make this as independent as possible. And that was just fascinating. Um, even as somebody with visual, like the colors and everything, it was just an amazing process. And like, I went out of that visit with that teacher just being absolutely amazed. So that that's probably the one that just stood out. And it was like toy, like there were honkers on desks. So you'd hit the honker for assistance and stuff like that. <laughs> Um, it's just like crazy stuff, um, especially for the mute students and everything. So like to get attention and there was bells on things everywhere. And it was just playful because it was for kids. And at the same time, just like really well thought through. Wow. Amazing. Thank you. And I think that taps into, I believe it was you for me and, and empathy, like, which is, is maybe the crux of what we're doing here. With, with accessibility. I, I feel like this panel could go on and on and on as it should, because as, as we've established, right, accessibility certainly is, is the future. Uh, I think no matter where we are, if it's a restroom or a, a classroom, Disneyland or, or, or with tech. And so I really do want to thank each of you for a really great show, for sharing your stories, uh, your expertise here on Dojo Live and with our audience. You truly are helping us to become better authors. Uh, think of our own stories and, and the stories of those around us. Uh, so thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank yeah, you for having us. It's amazing. And, and, and for our viewers out there, uh, we can catch our regular show uh, every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 12 o'clock Pacific. And be sure to follow us on all social media to catch more People Matters panels like this one. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on Monday for our recap show, 12 o'clock Pacific. Stay safe, everyone. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.